Well, good morning, everybody. I wanna welcome you to week number two of our 75th anniversary celebration, and today is a really big day as we are going to be celebrating baptism later this afternoon as part of our church-wide barbecue baptism. And and many of you have already signed up to to get baptized. And I just wanna let uh, others of you know that it is not too late uh, for you to also take that step to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ uh, today. Uh, You can sign up on our app. You can talk to any of the pastors Uh, We'd be happy to help answer questions and get you ready to take part in that. We would uh, love uh, to include you in our celebration today. And you know, it's significant, I think, uh, as part of our celebration that we have baptism because from the very beginning of our history as a church, baptism has been central to who we are. I found out recently that our very first baptisms as a church uh, took place just a couple months into our existence. Uh, They took place on January 11th, 1948. They happened on a Sunday afternoon because uh, we didn't have a building and we didn't have a baptistry. And so we had to borrow uh, the baptistry of the church that was called the Brethren Church at that time uh, at the the corner of uh, Parker and Beverly. We got a picture of the church as it is today. Um, I don't know if the building is the same as it was then, but this is where uh, that was located. And uh, this is where we held our our baptisms. And there were four people who received baptism on that day. The very first people uh, who ever were baptized as part of our church family. And it's kind of interesting reading about this. Uh, Back in the day, they did church a little different than we do today. I know that many of you feel like it's at the very level of your endurance to listen to one message, you know, one very long message on a Sunday morning. Well, back in the day, you not only went to church on Sunday morning, you came back to church and went on Sunday night. Amen. Anybody remember that from uh, their past? And so they had church on Sunday morning, and they this uh, Sunday, January 11, had baptism Sunday afternoon, and then they came back and had church again Sunday night, and they actually had some business they took care of, and it was in our minutes there that the church voted to send a thank you card to the Brethren Church, uh, along with $3 to say thank you for the use of their building and their baptistry. (laughs) So those were the very first people of over now 2,400 people um, in our history who've been baptized over our 75 years. Here's a picture of one of our 37 baptisms that actually happened uh, last year at this time at our uh, annual barbecue baptism Sunday. And, and I'm talking about this as we kick off this morning's message because we believe uh, in the importance of baptism. Baptism does is not just something that you do to check a box. Baptism, according to God's word, is the very first step in following Jesus. See, the New Testament teaches that that baptism is a a public, visible, physical sign of this personal, invisible, and spiritual reality that takes place when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that, that baptism actually depicts the spiritual realities that we enter when we follow Jesus Christ? See, when we are lowered into the water, it shows our death to sin through repentance as we are buried beneath the surface of the water. When we are in that water, water is a symbol that shows the cleansing from sin that takes place when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and in his death on the cross to forgive us. 
And then when we come up out of the water, it, it is a, a picture that shows the, the new eternal life that we have now that we've been resurrected from our old life and resurrected into life with Jesus, life where we have been saved, life where we have been given eternal life. And, and all of those things, they, they happen spiritually when we trust Christ, when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ spiritually, makes us a new creation, makes us a child of God. Baptism is just this, this beautiful picture of these realities that are taking place, and it shows it in a way everyone can see. And, and that's just a part of why baptism Sundays are like always my favorites, and I'm just excited about today. And, and I'm also talking about this this morning because um, this baptism is a reminder of what we're gonna be talking about in our message today. Uh, it, it, it reminds us of this issue. Well, how does someone get to that place where they're ready to be baptized? Ha- have you ever like thought about that process, what happens, how that works, humanly speaking? And the answer is really very simple. Someone tells someone else about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done, about, uh, about how we can know him. And this telling is, is known as evangelism. And evangelism is just a word which is talking about the good news. It reminds us that good news is always for sharing, that sharing good news is at the center of God's heart. And it has been at the center of our heart as a church for 75 years now. And it ought to be at the center of your heart the center of of your heart and my heart. So here's what I want you to see today, all of this leading up to that kind of moment of joy that we see in that picture. All of this starts with the number one. It starts with one person telling one person about Jesus. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Our message today is called, Who's Your One? And we're gonna look at a story in Jesus' life. We find this story in the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter two, verses one through 12. And fundamentally, this is a story about evangelism. It's a story about bringing someone that we know to Jesus. And as we study this story, as a great story, we're gonna see or together how we can make sharing the good news a part of our lives. We're gonna talk about how we can identify our one, that, that person that God is calling us uh, to pray for and love and, and tell about Jesus, how we can tell them about Jesus and, and how we can be, be part of that process in the life of, of our church. Uh, if you're taking notes, here's the, the key idea that I want you to see today. God is calling all of us, say all of us, All of us, every one of us, no exceptions. God is calling all of us to identify at least one person, at least one person with whom we're gonna seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so again, wanna ask you, who's your one? Who comes to your mind right now? Who do you think of that, that might be that person that doesn't know God and God might be calling you to be the one who shares with him. Who's your one? Uh, This story in Mark 2 is a story about some guys, some guys who loved their one, loved their friend, and they loved their friend so much that they went to extraordinary effort to bring their friend to Jesus. This story's gonna ask you, do you love anyone enough to do something like that? These guys did it. 
These guys had their lives changed. These guys were, were never, ever the same again. And so listen to the story. Mark writes, beginning in verse one, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And this is the word of the Lord. All God's people say, amen. Amen. I want you to look with me at four principles that you need in your life if you are going to truly and effectively be able to share the good news with your one. And the first one is really simple. It's invest the time. Invest the time. We we must give our time. Now, let's set the scene here. Jesus, if you read the first chapter of Mark, he has just finished his first preaching tour through Galilee. He's performed many miracles, his his fame is spreading, and he now returns to Capernaum, his his headquarters, and he goes to this home. Uh, Some people think it's maybe the home of Peter and Andrew, we don't really know, but he goes to this home, he's looking for a little R&R, and he goes there hoping to relax, but the word soon gets out, Jesus is here. And in verses one and two, we're told that the crowds come and they jam into the house. They spill out onto the street. It's like hundreds of people all crowding together, all trying to see this prophet, this miracle worker from Nazareth. And think about it. If there was ever a time where where Jesus might have said, you know, guys, I'm tired. Uh, uh, It's been a hard week. Come back later. I need some rest. It would have been now because Jesus really was tired He really could have used some time uh, to to rest and get refreshed. Everyone needs rest, even Jesus. But we see that Jesus loves people so much that he invests time, even when it's inconvenient. And the reality is Jesus loved to hang out with people who are far from God. Question, do you? Do you? This is something we see in Jesus' ministry all all through his his time on earth. Maybe you remember the story, it's in Luke 19, of this guy named Zacchaeus. He was this hated tax collector. He was this little man, a short guy. And I I just, when I envision Zacchaeus, I I just see uh, Danny DeVito. That's just how I, I imagine this. 
And, and, and he, he wants to see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus climbs this tree so he can see Jesus coming down the road. And Jesus gets to the tree and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And why does he, why does he say that? Jesus says, I must stay at your home today. Jesus says, I wanna spend time with you, Zacchaeus. I wanna, wanna hang out. Go to John chapter two. You see that Jesus attends a wedding, which is a huge celebration in, in Cana. Go to John chapter four. You find Jesus seeking out one woman uh, in the heat of the day. This woman we know is the Samaritan woman at a well all by herself. You can go to Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter nine, and we, we read how Jesus goes to a party that Matthew throws for his friends who are far from God over and over and over. Jesus is investing time. And if you want to bring your friends to Jesus, there is no substitute for investing time with them. We, we, we need to enter the world of people without God. We need to spend enough time with them so that we can get to know them in order to be able to show them the love of God. Do you understand that to truly and effectively share the good news, the most important news in all the world it's gonna take some time to build authentic relationships of trust that will earn you the right to talk about something so profound and important as eternal life. See, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes an investment of time. And one of the things I, I know, as soon as I talk about this, some of you are thinking, well, that's pretty easy for you to say, Mike. Um, you don't have to commute over the hill for like three hours every day. You don't have to work your job and then you want me to come to church on Sunday like every Sunday you want me to be here, you expect me to be here and then you want me to join a life group and, and then you're always trying to get me to serve in a ministry and you even want me to read my Bible and pray like every day. I mean, come on, I don't have enough time to spend time with people and do all of those other things. I, I can't do everything. Well, if you're thinking anything like that, I have a couple of comments and the first one is, is this. We all do the things we really want to do. Can, can we agree on that? You really say amen all together. We all do the things that we really want to do. It just sort of somehow seems to happen. We make time for those things. But secondly, I'm actually not saying that you should add a bunch of activities to your life. What I really am saying is that you should do the things that you're already doing just include friends who don't know Christ with you as you do those things. Like, quick question here, just wanna check. I checked with the first service, so I'm checking with, with the 1045 service. Uh, raise your hands on this. How many of you eat at least once every day? Would you just <laughs> raise your hands, right? So here's, here's the thought. What if you use some of those meals where you're gonna eat anyway and you invite someone to have a meal with you? Here's an idea. How about if you eat with someone instead of eat with this? Ouch, anybody say? <laughs> like some of us, we, we have more meals with our phone than we do with people that don't know Jesus. So it's just taking something you're gonna do anyway and, and you include some other people in it. Here's another idea. Football season has just started, right? Last week was a good week, wasn't it? Uh, the playoffs, baseball playoffs are about to start. There's a lot of people here. They're gonna be spending a lot of time in front of a TV set, right? Maybe you don't like sports, but you're gonna, uh, those sports where you're gonna watch some other sports, and you're gonna spend time. How about you invite a friend or a neighbor, someone else, and you spend those hours in front of the TV with them? 
You just do what you're gonna do, but you, you, you do it with them. I mean, I don't know, it could be a good reason to buy that brand new HK OLED QLED super smart TV you've had your eye on. I, it's like, honey, Pastor Mike said it's for evangelism, right? You could, you could just get the new TV. I mean, hey, I don't know. But point is, it won't, it won't take you an extra minute to watch the game, but you'll be doing something of, of, of eternal value as you build a relationship, talking, laughing, enjoying the game together. And, and if those examples don't really square with your life and who you are, every one of us has interests. We have, we have hobbies that we can use and we can leverage to invest time in other people's lives. So what are yours? I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Um, studies have shown that the average person needs to hear the gospel, the good news, at least seven times before they will make a commitment to follow Jesus. See, the question is, are you willing to invest the time to, to make the effort? Here's the next thing that it takes to bring your one to Jesus Christ. Live with a sense of urgency. In verse three, we, we meet this man. It's a man who desperately needed Jesus. Uh, we are told that he is a, a paralytic, a paralytic now, we don't know why, but this simply means what it sounds like. He, he can't move his body. And I want you to try to go back into this world and imagine for a moment what life must have been like for this man. His entire world was like a mat, maybe three feet by six feet. A, a mat is where he lived. A, a mat was all that he, he knew. And someone else has to feed him, clothe him, Someone else has to move him so he doesn't get bed sores. Someone else has to clean him when he soils himself. There was no medical treatment. There were no surgeries. There, there was no such thing as rehab. He, he had no hope as far as he knew. See, his only option was to go through life as a beggar. So every day, someone would pick him up and set him down on his mat by the side of the road, and he would just be there day after day, month after month, year after year. He was just dependent on, on whoever might stop by and maybe drop a few coins on the mat. That was his life. And you know that he had dreams. And in his dreams, he, he would have dreamed of a healthy body where he could walk and he could run and he could do good work with his hands. In his dreams, he would have dreamed of being married and loving his wife and playing with his kids. But then he'd wake up and he'd look up at the ceiling of a room he could never walk out of. I mean, just try to think what that would have been like to, to look around at this body that held you prisoner every day, to look at this mat that was your entire world and to know you would never be free. No money, no job, no future. What has this guy got going for him? One thing, he had friends. He had amazing friends. In fact, I, I think I would stipulate that this guy is in one of the killer life groups of all time. <laughs> and that's what verse three tells us. This guy had four friends. And when you look at this, you, you see these four friends, they had a sense of urgency. They knew that their friend's only hope was Jesus. 
And you see, it's, it's like that today. If, if we want to bring our one to Jesus, we're gonna have to live with a sense of urgency. And we only do that when we begin to understand the predicament of our friends who are apart from Jesus Christ. A lot of commentators have, have looked at this story and have said, this is a story about evangelism. It's a story about bringing people to Jesus. And if it's a story about bringing people to Jesus, then the people in the story are still telling us truth for today. And one of the things that we're being told is seen in this paralytic. Think about this. This, this paralytic could not come to Jesus on his own. Do you understand that spiritually speaking, this is exactly the predicament of every person in the world who does not know Jesus Christ? They cannot come to Jesus on their own. Sometimes uh, in our culture today where everybody thinks pretty much, you know, people are, are basically good. Even Christians can start thinking, you know, well, everybody, everybody kind of has these innate spiritual capacities on their own that they are naturally interested in God and, and everyone is able to respond to, to God on their own. And here's the thing, that has never been true. That has never been true. The Bible never says anything like that. But today... We, we live in this culture that right now historically is moving farther and farther, more rapidly all the time, farther and farther away from God. You know, the fastest growing religious group uh, today is called the, the nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S. These are people who have no religious faith, people who identify as atheists or agnostics or just say they don't have any particular religious affiliation. Do you know that, that about 30% of the population identifies in this category and the numbers have been going higher and higher in a few years, it's likely to be higher than that. And, and this sociological reality highlights something that the Bible has always taught that's always been true. Ephesians 2, 1, 1 through 5, tells us that all people apart from God are dead in their sins. That means they are spiritually dead. That means they cannot comprehend spiritual things. They are unable to because they're spiritually dead. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says the person without the Holy Spirit cannot accept the things of God. They, they cannot. Why? Because those things are spiritually discerned. And what that means is exactly what it's saying. It's just telling us they're incapable, they're unable to respond. If you wanna think of, a, of an example in real life, it would be like this. Um, have you ever seen a dead person like get up and walk? They, they can't, right? Because why? They're dead. They, they can't hear, why? Because they're dead. They can't see. Why? Because they're, they're dead. They are unable to respond. And, and this is telling us something very, very significant. Spiritually dead people are never gonna come to Christ on their own. If a spiritually dead person comes to Christ, it is because God acts and God works and a spiritually alive person goes and gets them and brings them. And according to Jesus, that someone is you and that someone is me. You know, if you ever find yourself thinking that, that the people around you are just interested in God on their own, you're also mistaken. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 say no one seeks for God. No, not even one. Uh, people are dead. They don't care on their own. God has to work first. God has to act on their hearts 
so that they begin seeking him. And he usually does that by sending someone like you and someone like me. See, something has to happen to bring a person to God, something spiritual. And by the way, that's why prayer is so vital. I wanna pause right here and take a couple of moments to just let you know how uh, this Who's Your One works. Uh, Out in the lobby, maybe you already saw it, we have a a Who's Your One prayer wall. And if you go out there after the service, you're gonna find um, some Who's Your One uh, bookmarks. And this is a two-part uh, uh, piece of uh, material here. And one of the parts you can fold and tear off, and it's like a name, uh, a name plate or something like that. And what we're encouraging you to do is write the name of the person who's your one. Uh, you're gonna be praying for. You're gonna be seeking to uh, share the gospel with. I would encourage you just to write their first name, or if you wanna uh, put a last initial, that's fine, but let's, let's don't make this uh, more difficult, especially if that person's in the room right now. Um, but you're gonna put that card on the wall, and it's gonna be there so other people can pray as they go by, as they come by during the week. They can pray for those people as well. And over the next 30 days, we're gonna start with this first month, uh, you can read the scriptures that are on the bookmark and you can use those scriptures to prompt you things to pray uh, for this person. If you wanna go into more depth, you can also pick up a 30-day prayer guide which has all these scriptures plus uh, some devotional material. If you're not into paper, and some of you aren't, you can actually, uh, there's a QR code out, out there where you can go and download an electronic form of the prayer guide, and there's more. I know this sounds like a Home Shopping Network uh, commercial right now, <laughs> but there's actually more, and it's really cool. Um, there is actually on the Uversion app a 30-day reading plan that's part of that Bible reading app that so many of you have. In fact, let me just ask real quickly, how many of you have the Version Holy Bible app on your phone already, right? I mean, all across the room, you already have that. If you click on the thing at the bottom of that that says plans, you type in who's your one, you'll see the plan. It'll be there every day uh, for you to do that. And there's more. One more thing. <laughs> really cool. If you use the Version app, you may know that you can do these plans with other people. And so we would encourage you, maybe your life group is gonna go through this reading plan together. Maybe your life group is gonna be able to pray for your one. You know, you can pray for each other's one. Just do this all together. See, here's the reality. To see our one come to Jesus, we need this sense of urgency. We need God's power. Therefore, we need to pray. We need God to work. And the way God is gonna work is he's gonna send a Christ follower, and it's gonna be you. He wants to send you to help bring your one to Jesus. Now, how do we bring them to Jesus? Well, the next two principles actually talk about this as well. The third principle is make a commitment to teamwork. In other words, you don't have to do this all by yourself. Some of you have been real anxious about this. Some of you have been sitting there with your arms crossed, at least, um, you know, spiritually, don't get nervous if your arms are crossed right now. I'm not singling you out. But you're like resistant. You're saying, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. This is too scary. Whatever you're thinking, well, I just wanna tell you right now, you can do this with other people. It's not just up to you. You get to share in this with other people. We don't have to do it on our own. Look again at verse three, and let me remind you, Mark tells us that how many men carried this guy to Jesus? Four. 
There were four. Not one man, there were four. And, and I, was, I was thinking about why teamwork was so important in bringing our one to Jesus. And I, I came up with at least three reasons. I'm sure there are more. First is the simple reality that we can do more together than alone, right? There's some things we can do on our own, but we can do so much more with other people. One guy physically wouldn't have probably been able to carry the paralytic to Jesus by himself, right? You know, carry him all the way there, haul him all the way up to the stairs on top of the roof, dig the hole all by himself. Wasn't gonna happen. But four guys could, four guys could. There's this incredible power in, in numbers, I came across a really cool story. This happened actually in the summer of 1988. Uh, there was a farmer in Nebraska in a small town called Bruno. His name was Herman Ostry, and he had this problem. His barn floor was under 29 inches of water uh, because of a rising creek. It kept flooding, and so he needed to move the barn, um, uh, 17,000-pound barn, to another foundation that he had built on higher ground. It was actually 143 feet away, but he didn't really have the money to take the barn down, move all the materials, and put the barn back. So um, he invited a few friends to help him, and his son Mike... Uh, designed and built this structure, a, a lattice work of steel tubing that he, he put all through the structure on the inside and the outside of this barn, nailed and bolted and welded. There were the hundreds of handles that were attached. And I want to show you a picture, and it's a bad picture because it's like 1988, okay? You know how it was. But 344 people showed up. And they had figured out that if they got about 350 people to do this, that each person, their share would be about 55 pounds. And so they all got them assembled. There's actually a video out there. If you wanna go watch it, you can find it. Um, and there were people all around the inside of the barn, people all around the outside of the barn. They all did a practice lift to make sure that the barn didn't fall down. That would have been uncool if you were inside, I think. But after they tried the practice lift, they all started walking, and in three minutes, they made it to the new foundation. Unbelievable, right? I mean, it's the, a picture of the power of the strength of numbers. It's a picture of the power of teamwork. You don't have to do it by yourself. Second thing we, we need a commitment to teamwork for is because the more we work together, the more our friends will be drawn to Jesus. Are you aware in our culture today how lonely so many people are? How desperate so many people are for authentic relationships? I mean, so many people are dying for love. And, and when they see other people who actually care for each other, who are actually willing to work with each other to do things together, they are attracted to that. They wanna be part of that. Jesus actually talks about this dynamic in his, his uh, what's called the high priestly prayer. This is in John 17, and he's praying this prayer before he's crucified, John 17, 20 to 23. This is what he says. He says, my prayer is not for them, and that's the apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's, that's the kind of oneness he wants us to have. May they also be in us. Here's the reason why. So that the world may what? 
believe, believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. I think Jesus is describing the reality that the more we work together, the more unified we are, the more that we actually love one another, the more people on the outside are attracted and wanna know what we have here on the inside. There's incredible power in teamwork. That's what we see in this story. So these guys, you know, they evidently decide what they're gonna do and they go and they tell their friend that he's going to see Jesus. They tell him, we'll pick you up at nine o'clock. And, and he doesn't have much choice because, you know, um, when they pick him up, they pick him up, you know. And, and so they, they get him, they get to the home where Jesus is and it's packed. There's all these people jammed into the house, spilling out into the, the street. There's no way no way that they can see to, to get to Jesus. No way to get their friend to Jesus. So, so what are they gonna do? And, and Mark actually goes to some length to describe this. He's, he, he gives some details. There's not only no room in the house, he says there's not even room outside the door. People are just everywhere. Can you imagine the frustration of these guys? They've had this sense of urgency, our, our friend, we have to get him to Jesus. What are we gonna do now? And I think at this point, we see a third reason why we need teamwork, because teamwork often fosters creativity. And, and so they start talking. I don't know how it happens, but someone comes up with this kind of unorthodox idea. Let's dig through the roof. They decide it's a good idea because they are desperate to see Jesus, get their friend to Jesus. They have decided that there is nothing that's gonna stand in their way, no obstacle that's gonna keep their friend from Jesus. So strong is their trust in Jesus. So great is their love for their friend. You see this dynamic that's pulling them. And maybe you know this, but maybe you don't. Homes in, in Palestine had often a flat roof and the, the roof actually kind of served as like a patio. And so to get up to the roof, there would be a staircase on the side of the house. And so this is what they use to get up on, on top of the roof. And so they get up there and they, they, they start remodeling this guy's house. <laughs> Again, imagine the scene. You look in verse four, put yourself inside the house. Jesus is talking, everybody is listening and all of a sudden stuff starts kind of drifting down from above. And everyone looks up and they see this hole in the ceiling and the hole is slowly getting larger and pretty soon they can see four hands that are digging through the dirt, digging through the thatch, you know, knocking aside the sticks and the branches that would have made up the roof. I mean, imagine being the guy that owned this house. Like you agree to host this meeting and suddenly you're getting an unscheduled skylight installation, you know, and he calls his state farm agent to see if this is covered. He says, Jesus is here. Can we call this an act of God? And <laughs> it all leads me to ask you a question. When was the last time you tried something creative to bring a friend to Jesus? When was the last time you got outside of a box? I was thinking this week that it's significant that Jesus calls his disciples, when he called them to follow him, he, he called them fishers of men. You ever wondered why Jesus would use that description? Like, is there any 
thing in the act of fishing that has relevance to bringing people to Jesus? And I think the answer clearly is yes. There are lots of reasons. And I'll just give you one uh, right here. I think it's this. Fishing takes creativity, right? How many of you fish? How many of you like to fish? There was a lot more of you, uh, fisher, uh, fishermen and fisherwomen in the uh, first service, but a lot of people like to fish. And if you know a fisherman, you know they're very creative people, right? And it's not just the stories that they tell that are creative. Um, but fishermen to catch fish need to be creative. Think of all the tools that they use. There are, there are lures that spin and hop and glisten. There are sonar and radar. You know, fishermen talk to other fishermen. They, they read fishing magazines and fishing websites. They pay for fishing guides. They study the weather. They watch the water. I mean, there's all kinds of things just to catch fish. But if you stop to think about it, it's not just fishermen that are creative. I think we're all creative in our own spheres. If you're in business, you probably this last week and you probably will this next week or sit down with someone else in your work and you'll talk about some creative ways to address a problem that you are facing and if one thing isn't working, you're gonna figure out something else that does. You're not gonna give up. I was talking this last week to someone who works in a factory and they were telling me how they'd come up with a procedure to make what they did at their place of work more effective. Engineers, you know, rework plans. Programmers rewrite codes. You see, moms with kids are always thinking of creative ways to get their kids out of their hair. Um, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> um, I'm just convinced that every one of us is creative in some way or another. And I just wonder why, when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus, sometimes we're not that creative. We're not that creative about the greatest thing in our, our lives. And there really are so many things that we can do if we will break the box and get open to creativity. You know, we already established that everyone here eats every day. <laughs> Some of you are actually pretty good at cooking. And so what if you cook a meal and you invite neighbors over for dinner? Um, if you're not good at cooking, I don't advise this method. <laughs> but if you are, that's a great thing to do. When was the last time someone who didn't know Jesus was in your home? Does that ever happen in your life? Some of you are, are great with mechanical things, handyman skills. You, you're good at fixing stuff. Can you leverage that ability to do things for people, serve them, open doors for the gospel? Some of you are good with kids. Maybe you can help those moms around you out that are just looking for a little bit of breathing room sometimes, taking care of those kids. Some of the things that I would mention to you actually happen on our campus. We have all kinds of groups here on our campus. And I was especially thinking of our, of our care ministry groups. You know, we have Celebrate Recovery that meets on Friday nights to help people out. You may have some friends in your life and that would serve a need and you could bring them to be part of Celebrate Recovery. On Wednesday night, we have care groups where, where we minister to different kinds of needs. There's grief share and there's divorce care. We are, we've just begun some new groups, groups that are designed to help uh, women who've suffered miscarriage, groups that are designed to help people on the other side of an abortion, groups that are designed to help someone who's been the victim of sexual assault. 
There, there are all kinds of things that you can, you can connect with someone you know. Maybe you know someone who has one of those needs and you can bring them, invite them, and you can be with them and see what, what God does. I mean, really, the possibilities are endless. And if you find yourself saying, well, I still can't think of anything, well, then use your team this week when you meet with your life group. Make sure you spend some time brainstorming ways that you can connect with the ones in each of your lives. Just do this together. One more thing. Fourth thing, finally, bringing your one to Jesus calls you to build a faith that takes risks. See, if we, if we take a risk of introducing someone to Jesus, we can always understand and know that God will be with us, working among us. It's never just us. I, I saw this great video some time ago of someone who discovered this. It's this a really great story. Um, happened a few years ago, so the quality is not super good, but you're gonna, you're gonna love the message, so watch this with me. You're watching Action News Live at 10. A woman about to be mugged in the parking lot of a Walmart turned things around on her would-be attacker. Without a gun, without pepper spray, she protected herself. I was lucky enough to meet Pauline Jacoby in Dyersburg. She told me about the powerful words that saved her and could possibly save her attacker, too. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. 92-year-old Pauline Jacoby reads her Bible every day. Her strong faith keeps her going in life and in the process may have saved it. Jacoby had just finished putting away her groceries inside her car at a nearby Walmart. Only seconds after Jacoby got into her car, a man jumped in the passenger side. The man told Jacoby he had a gun and that he would shoot her if she didn't give him money. I said, no, I'm not going to give him my money. Jacoby told him no three times. Then she started to talk to him. You know, as quick as you kill me, I'll go to heaven and you go to hell. She told him to ask God for forgiveness. I said, Jesus is in this car and he goes with me everywhere I go. And uh, <laughs> he just sort of looked around and the tears began coming in his eyes. Jacoby ministered the man for 10 minutes inside her car. And he says, I, I think I'll go home and pray tonight. I said, you know, I can wait a minute. You can just pray anytime you want to. As tears were rolling down the man's face, Jacoby voluntarily gave him all the money she had, $10. And when I told him I was going to give him the money, I said, don't you spend it on whiskey either. <laughs> the man thanked her for the money and then... Kissed, kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> and walked away. He walked away. Well, Jacoby's story has caught national attention, and we've gotten so many calls and emails from church leaders who want to show her story to their congregations in order to teach others how to minister. Jacoby's story also aired on the Today Show. They tried to get her to come to New York for a visit. Too humble to take credit, Jacoby said, no thank you. She says she prefers spreading the word right here at home. In the meantime, police are still searching for the man who tried to rob Mr. Jacoby. If you have information, call Dyer County Crime Stoppers at 731-285-TIPS. An incredible <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? So here, here's a question. Um, 
Is some 92-year-old woman more courageous than you are? Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Me too. <laughs> but you know, whenever we take a risk, we are never alone. My, my favorite line is when the guy says he's gonna kill her and she says, if you kill me, I'm going to heaven, but you're going to hell. <laughs> See, Jesus is always with us. Jesus never leaves us, never forsakes us. And when you come back to the story, just think about what's happening. Everyone looks up, everyone sees through this hole, the face of these four friends, they're, they're staring down, not asking nothing for themselves. They're only seeking the benefit of their friend. And you know, that's what great friends do for each other. They help each other get close to Jesus. Verse five is a very striking statement. It's almost unprecedented. It says that when Jesus saw, he saw their faith. Most of the time in the New Testament, when someone asks for healing, Jesus sees the faith of the person who's asking for the healing, but here it's the faith of the friends. Do you have any idea what the faith of one person can do for a friend? It moved these friends to dig a hole through a roof. When's the last time in your life you you dug through a roof for a friend? When's the last time you performed some extraordinary act of service to help someone get closer to Jesus. They, they do this because they, 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 they love their friend. And, and we see that they, they dig through the roof, they lower their friend down. There's no record that anything is said. Jesus doesn't hear. It says Jesus sees. He sees their faith. He sees their faith in these sweaty, dusty, hopeful faces who are trusting that Jesus somehow will have the kind of heart that will respond to their friend. And they're not worried about the embarrassment. They're not worried about what people will think. They're not worried about the mess. I mean, they're not even worried about the cost. And they're probably gonna have to pay to fix the roof after they dig through it. They're just thinking about their friend. And Jesus then looks at their friend and he sees not only a broken body, but he sees a broken soul, just like every one of us. And he just speaks so tenderly. Do you see it? He says, son, child, your sins are forgiven. This man who has been mocked and shunned and judged by people who assumed that his damaged body meant that he was spiritually inferior to them, that God had judged him. Jesus says, no, no, you're clean now. You're forgiven, you're right with God. Can you imagine what that did to this man? And can you imagine what is happening here, how Jesus is fulfilling the desires of these friends more than they ever hoped? Because if you really love a friend, what do you care about the most? More than anything else, you care about their spiritual health. I wonder if you're a friend to anyone like that, willing to take risks, there's a real contrast going on with the other people in the room, these, these teachers of the law, and, and it's really set up to, for us to see the contrast. They're the religious experts. They're supposed to be the spiritual ones, but apparently in their lives, there's no one that they are concerned about, no one hurting or lost that they are seeking to bring to Jesus. And Mark is, I think, showing us that the people that were great in the eyes of God in that moment are not the people who should have been the most mature, these experts, but these, these four men, these four adequate challenged roof crashers who would do just about anything for their friend. And you know, I hope, I hope that we Southwinds are always a church of roof crashers, of people 
who know that the greatest sign of spiritual maturity is not just a head cram full of spiritual knowledge, that's not a bad thing, but a heart that desperately loves people and desperately loves Jesus and desperately wants to bring them together. See, when you take risks for Jesus, there's all gonna be people like this. In verses six and seven, they're saying to each other, how can this man claim to forgive sins? Only God can do that. And of course, that's Jesus' point. That's what he's saying. He's, he's making this staggering claim here about his identity, that he has the right to forgive sins. And that means that he is God. And what that means for your friend today is that more than anything else, they need Jesus. Because more than anything else, we need our sins forgiven. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Jesus, of course, knows exactly what they are thinking because they're God. And in verse 10, he, he says, just so you can see <laughs> that I have the authority to do this and I'm not blowing smoke here, he says to this guy, and it's kind of interesting, the, it's hard to get the translation right. You see it even in the text, but he turns to this guy on the ground and he says to him, get up, take your mat and go home. And don't you know in that moment, everything went utterly silent because everybody was watching. Everybody was wondering what's gonna happen. And as they watched, this guy got up. It says he, he, he picked his mat off the ground and he rolled it up and he, he took it with him he walks out of the room in front of them all, which to me means, okay, think how crowded it was. If he walks out of the room, it means everybody's just parting and moving away, getting out of his way as he goes out because everyone is amazed at what Jesus had done. Don't you long to be in a story like that with your friends, to see Jesus work in the lives of people you care about like that, changing them, changing them forever. That's what Jesus wants to do. That we see in verse 12, this guy walks out and everyone sees it and everyone praises God. You know, I think at the end of this guy's life, when he looked back on his life, I kind of think, you know, when he was an old man and all his friends are using canes, he's still hopping around because <laughs> Jesus gave him a warranty, a good one, and... Um, and he hadn't been using his legs that long. Anyway, but I think when he th thought back on his life, he realized the greatest gift in his life were not his legs, but his friends. Because there's no gift like a friend. And when you get to the end of your life, do you realize it's not gonna matter how big your house was. It's not gonna matter how much money you made. It's not gonna matter how high you climbed the corporate ladder. It's not gonna matter how fast your car is, whatever, whatever you think about. The only thing that's going to matter are your relationships, your friends, the friends you help bring to Jesus. You know, for 75 years now, our mission as a church has been to bring people to Jesus. And what I am challenging each of us today, individually, personally, just you, is this a part of your mission for your life? Are you one person seeking to bring other one individual persons to Jesus Christ? 
I was thinking this week of how awesome it would be if, if during the rest of, of this year, hundreds of us, just look across this room right now, what if every one of us was praying every day for someone in our life, and what if so many of those people actually came to faith in Jesus Christ this fall, and, and what if not only 75 people got baptized like we're, we're praying will happen, but even more, wouldn't you wanna be a part of something like that? in this world, in this community, seeing lives changed. Think about this one, and I'm gonna leave you with this. How many of you are here today, you're a Christ follower, because someone cared enough for you to bring you to Jesus? Would you just raise your hand right now? You're here because someone else. See, why will we not do for others what they have done for us? loving Jesus, loving other people. Here's what I'm asking you to do, and I'm gonna give you these things just so you understand what we're talking about. Who's your one? And we're gonna talk about this some more over these 75, uh, this 75 uh, anniversary celebration, but it starts with you identifying your one. Who is this? And if you already know, I hope that you'll go out to the lobby. I hope you'll get one of the prayer uh, bookmarks. I hope you will write your, your one's name down and put it up on the wall so that we can all be praying for them together. Second, I hope that you will every day pray for your one. That bookmark, the prayer guide will be a help to remind you to do that at least the next 30 days. Make a commitment to that. Third, show hospitality to your one. You know, make some efforts to build some relationships uh, with other people, however God leads you. Fourth, share the gospel with your one. God opens a door for you, then walk through that door. Tell them about Jesus. And maybe, maybe that won't happen in the next few weeks. But one thing that can happen is you can bring your one you can invite your one to come and be a part of what's happening here. You can invite your one, bring your one to your life group. Include them in, in things that you are, are doing. Do you know there was a survey done, and I, I've seen a number of these surveys over the years, and they're all pretty consistent, but a survey was done just a couple years ago that reported that 82% of unchurched people say they would attend a church if a friend invited them. You probably have some friends who would come if you just asked. Uh, in Tracy, <laughs> that's like 55, 60,000 people who would come if they were just asked. Do you know someone who is far from God? Will you pray for them? Will you look for opportunities to share with them? Will you do whatever it takes to bring them? I wanna invite you right now to bow your heads and we're gonna pray together. We're gonna sing a song of worship. But let's just enter in right now, as I'm still speaking, just enter into prayer. Pray for your one. If you know someone already, just speak their name silently to God. Maybe you know some other uh, ones of other people in this room. Mention them. Even if you don't know, just be lifting prayers for other people who are praying for their one. Ask God to open doors open hearts to bring people to Jesus. Father God, I, I just pray that each and every one of us will enter into this great adventure that you've given us to, to love people by telling them about you.
Lord, you have loved us with your great love and you call us to share that love with others. Lord, I pray that you would just give courage uh, to those uh, who may be uh, fearful about this. Lord, if, if someone is, is thinking right now, I've tried this before and it didn't work, I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, if, if someone right now says, I don't have a one, I pray that you would just uh, remind them that they can start praying this week and, and they can trust that as they ask you to show you, ask you to show them who their one is, that, that you will do that. And Lord, I also wanna pray for anyone who is here today and really the reason they're here today, Lord, is that they need to step forward and make public their faith in Jesus Christ by receiving baptism. Lord, I know that you are speaking to some right now and saying today's the day. And it's so easy, Father, to put it off and just to say later, but, but you call us to follow you today, to obey you today. And, and so I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to hearts right now Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you meet our greatest need, which is to know you and you have sent Jesus who is your one, your one and only son. And he has come to earth and revealed who you are to us so that we can know you. We thank you for Jesus, Father. We pray all these things now in his precious name, the name above all names. And all God's people say,